Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Freddie. Before we get to the message this morning, I want to share a little bit about what God is doing uh, specifically through uh, Pastor Freddie and the Marshallese congregation. Uh, many of you may or may not know that we have a Marshallese uh, church that is a part of our church. We, they, they, they're not a separate church. They're part of us. Uh, they meet every Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock here. Uh, I think I shared with you that three weeks ago uh, they baptized 11 people. God's at work. It's been amazing. They are also doing a church plant. Uh, so their church is planting another Marshallese church. It's been meeting out in Airway Heights uh, in that area. And uh, they've been meeting at kind of a community center, and they've kind of outgrown it, and we're praying what to do. And a couple of weeks ago, um, the pastor at Green Acres Baptist Church um, and some folks there that's on Barker Avenue, uh, they approached Freddie and said, hey, we actually own a building in Medical Lake, which is, you know, kind of that direction. It's about 10 or 15 minutes from Airway Heights. But uh, the church that was meeting there folded, so we have this kind of new building that's just empty. Do you think you'd want to check it out? You know, when you're, when you're trying to plan a church, having a place to meet is huge. And, and what you pay for it, and they, well, Freddie went out and looked at it. He said, it looked great. He said, how much do you want for us to meet there? He said, look, if you can just pay the utility bill, uh, that's like 150 or 200 a month. And so, yeah, yeah. And God's worked it out. Our church is, is giving 1% of our offerings to support that, so that'll more than cover for their... Uh, this was their service last Sunday night. Um, and, I mean, that's a church plant that started six months ago. Is that amazing? Uh, it's Praise the Lord. Yeah. I, uh, I told Freddie, you know, I don't know too many people that are busier than me, but I think you're one of them because... He's actually overseeing and pastoring two separate churches right now, trying to raise up leaders in this church and this church. And then, of course, he's been overseeing our worship ministry. And we got together this week and decided that we're going to have to let Freddie not oversee the worship here. Now, listen, don't, don't be discouraged. We're, we're going to make him lead worship at least once a month here because we love, we love Freddie and what he brings. But... but uh, when you're overseeing two churches, you don't need more responsibility. And so, uh, so, uh, so pray for Freddie. God's at work through that ministry. It's just exciting to see. I'm so proud of him and, and what the Lord is doing. Next Sunday, uh, Pastor Nick, who's a little under the weather. Hope you're at home, Pastor Nick. Good to see you. Uh, Pastor Nick was going to be preaching. Um, you know, he, I hope you'll come back next week to, to hear what it's been a while since he's preached since what God's going to put on Nick. And by the way, Nick has been our youth pastor, but with Anthony leaving, uh, he is not just the youth pastor anymore. He is an assistant pastor. We're going to give him more and more responsibility. I told him this week, he's my co-pilot. Okay. I need, need some help here. So, uh, so he's going to be stepping up to the plate and doing more and more. So if you're not a youth, Nick is still your pastor. I want you to know that. Okay. He's not just the pastor to the young people. Um, I will not be here next week. My wife and I will be in San Diego visiting our daughter and uh, her husband. And uh, I had to find an excuse to put four of my grandchildren on the screen to, uh, because they're amazing grandchildren. 
uh, he's, uh, her, her husband's a Navy man stationed in Coronado, and so we're going to watch online. But the following Sunday when I come back, we're going to kick off nine weeks in a row going through the, the book of Jacob. That's going to carry us right up until Palm Sunday. And then when we're done with Jacob, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. So I'm, I'm excited to be with you for the next uh, 10 weeks after that. Uh, today is going to be different. So straddle in because, uh, in fact, I, I just got to tell you, this doesn't happen to me, but I had an entire message prayer, uh, prepared. In fact, uh, uh, the message was done Friday afternoon, which is about normally when I get my, my messages done. And what I planned this morning is I, I wanted to talk about giving and money and, and finances, something that I was going to kind of have another dad talk. Those of you who were here three or four years ago remember that when I said, you know, sometimes as a family you have to get the you know, kids together, not that I'm calling you kids, but say, hey, there's some stuff going on, we need to talk about it. And I was concerned last year when, uh, as a church, uh, we, our, our income, our giving, uh, was $100,000 less than we had projected. Now, maybe we projected a little high. This year, we're only projecting about 50000 more than we gave last year. Uh, so we're still asking God to, to work in our hearts. But uh, the thing that concerned me more than anything is that 40, over 40% of the people who are members, who are regular attenders of our church, had no record of giving at all. Again, I don't know the exact details of that. And this is not about guilt or anything. To me, it's a spiritual issue. And so I prepared this message, and then the Lord began working in my heart Friday night. And I finished this message that I'm going to be, we're, we're not going to talk so much about giving. We will touch on it. I don't want to disappoint you. But... Um, but I want to talk about the heart this morning, because really when it comes to giving, giving's a matter of the heart, but we're going to go in a little different direction. So I just want to prepare you. Normally, my messages are kind of on slow simmer in the crock pot all week. This one got air fried last night. You know what I'm saying? So I may not be as prepared or, or whatever, but I want to talk about David. He's one of my favorite characters, and, and I'll bet that even if you're not a student of the Bible, you know the story of David and Goliath. You know, everyone knows about David. He's famous. He's famous for some stuff he shouldn't have done also. But what I, I think, David, the most significant thing about David is he was given a title in Scripture, a man after God's own heart. And that is, that is just, God said, I'm going to choose a man who's going to be king, who's going to be a man after my heart. And, and that's mentioned in the New Testament as well. And we're going to talk about the heart. So I want you to start thinking this morning about the heart. And what is, what is the heart? And David, if you're familiar with the story of David, you know that David did some knucklehead stuff. And he still called the man after God's own heart. Now, let me just quickly introduce David to you. David was a, first of all, he was a warrior. He was a man's man. He, he led men into battle. He fought battles. He was the leader of the army. Uh, he killed thousands of people, the Bible says. Of course, he defeated Goliath, the giant, when he was a youth. Um, he was also the king of Israel for 40 years. I mean, this, this guy was, was a very significant person. God told David, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever that his descendants would be on the throne, and eventually out of David would come forth both Mary and Joseph. And so Jesus, who is the Messiah, the King of kings, Lord and Lords, when he comes back, he's going to sit on the throne of David and rule and reign. So Jesus, of course, is the direct fulfillment of that. David had a great heart. One day he went into the uh, temp tabernacle and said, Lord, I want to build you a house. And the Lord said, David, I'm going to build you a house. It's really cool. Uh, David also was uh, 
a musician. He wrote songs. He was a shepherd boy. About a, a half of the psalms in your Bible were written by David. So here's this man's man, tough, thick-skinned warrior that also had this tender heart for the Lord. And God calls him a man after my own heart. Now, David had a messy life. We're going to talk about Jacob. David, probably nobody in Scripture, their big sins are recorded as much as David. I mean, David had his mighty men. We're talking like Green Beret, Navy SEALs, out fighting a battle. And he ends up committing adultery with one of the, those guys' wife. And then it, he want, in order to cover up the adultery, he brings that guy back who does not go in and be with his wife. So the cover-up isn't happening. So he sends him back to the battlefront with secret orders to have him killed. He murders a guy. He murders one of his own men to cover up his adultery. He was a terrible father when you read the story of David. He was a parenting failure on many levels. His, he had a marriage that failed. He had more than one wife. And he committed a sin in being disobedient to taking a sentence in direct rebellion to God. In fact, the consequences, the results of David's actions was not only did Uriah die, the guy he had murdered, his baby died, his daughter was violated, another son was murdered, another son revolted against him, took the king. And check this out. In 2 Samuel 24, David's sin brought death to 70,000 people in Israel because of David. This is a man after God's own heart? Can you explain that to me? That is a tough one. And I want you to wrestle with this this morning. I want you to say, how in the world? Because a lot of us have a past, right? We all have stuff we've done that we're not proud of, but I'm guessing if you were comparing your past to David, you haven't done something where tens of thousands people died as a result of it. You know, you probably haven't committed adultery and then had somebody's, you know, had a hitman take out the husband to, to cover it up, you know. And this is a man, the Bible says, is a man after God's own heart. You got to figure out what, why that's the case, Okay. Because we got to wrestle with this. And by the way, not only did God say this before he chose David, but after David died, after he did all this stuff, God continued in his word to hold David up as the standard. When his son Solomon took over the throne, he said, well, yeah, his Solomon followed the Lord, but it wasn't quite like that standard David who wholly was devoted to the Lord. And then there was another king, Abijam, Abijam, I don't know how to pronounce it, but his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord like the heart of David. By the way, all these scriptures are in your notes. You can look them up later. Asa, hey, yes, he was just like David. Uh, Amaziah, he was not quite like David. You know, Ahaz, just like David. Hezekiah, like David. Josiah, like, are you getting the idea here? 350 years later, one of the kings named Josiah, and God's word is still holding up David as the standard, a man who is after my own heart. And yet he committed murder, adultery, tens of thousands of people died. Why? How in the world could you call this a guy after God's own heart? Now, this is just my opinion. You can have your opinion. But I think one of the major reasons was, not, was that David's moments of stupid were isolated instances. Have you ever had a moment of stupid? Okay. 
And the Bible records David's moments of stupid. And sometimes when you get into stupid, stupid leads to more stupid. Right? Because you got to cover up the first stupid with another stupid. But by a way of life, this wasn't David's routine. There were isolated incidences that are recording Scripture. And here's the thing, at least for me, why I think David was a man after God's own heart is that every time the Holy Spirit finally convicted him, whether it be through the prophet Nathaniel or whoever, David was quick to humble himself, to call upon the mercy of the Lord, to ask for forgiveness, to repent. And there's a message there for you and I today. That God is not looking for you to be perfect, to be sinless. He's the one that's sinless, not you. He's the one that's blameless and can make you blameless, not you. But he wants you to continue to believe in his goodness, in his mercy, in the fact that his grace never fails. His love never fails. We sang about that, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And that when we sin, if we confess our sins... He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we need to be like David, that when we mess up and the Holy Spirit uh, finally gets a hold of us, that we run back to God and we repent and confess and receive it. Let me just say one more thing. I'm going to put something on this slide here. Some of you need to write this down because this is why God brought you here today. If David can commit murder and adultery and tens of thousands of people can die and he can still have a testimony with God that he's a man after God's own heart, then that means our worst moments do not define us in God's eyes. Because there's no way when we look at David's moments, his stupid moments, that that's a man after God's own heart. Our worst moments do not define us. Some of you are holding on to shame and guilt from the accuser of the brethren who is telling you that what you did is so bad. There's all this. Listen, if it's forgiven under the blood of Jesus, he sees it no more. And this is not... Again, an excuse to live any way you want. It's a, it's, a, it's a message that tells us we have freedom from bondage. Now today, I mentioned we're going to talk about the heart. And I also want to uh, apologize. Today's message is going to be different. Normally I say, please turn in your Bible to whatever. Uh, I don't have anywhere for you to turn today uh, because we're going to be all over Scripture. Uh, but I have put all the references in your uh, notes. You can look them up later. I will tell you that all these verses that you're going to see that mention the heart up here, I have not doctored these verses, okay? These are verses that come dire direct from the New American Standard Bible. That's God's favorite translation. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know, if you have an NIV, God still loves you. Um, <coughs> No, 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 no. The reason I, I like the New Living Translation for easy to understand, and I like the New American Standard for uh, original Greek to Hebrew, word for word, that sort of thing. And, and so um, I just want you to, 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 to know that the word heart appears over 725 times in your Bible. And no, we will not be looking at all of them. Um, but I want to ask you before I begin today to open your heart, because that's a choice that you can make. Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and able to penetrate to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, okay? And the Bible says to receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So I'm going to pray real quick for us. Father, 
I pray for every voice, excuse me, every, every heart that is listening to my voice right now, whether it be online, uh, whether it be here in this room, that you will help us to open our hearts to you, to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we talk about the heart in the Bible, you have to understand that the heart in the Bible is not just feelings. Uh, in our culture, we usually talk heart as, as a way of emotions. But the heart in the Bible was your entire innermost being, the inner man, the, the you, your soul, okay? It had to do with, with your, uh, you know, your mind. The Bible speaks of your mind as being part of your heart, your, your emotions as being a part of your heart, your, your, your soul, your will, that ability to choose. It is the inner person, the real you, okay? My body is not me. I am me inside of this body. I live inside of this body. One day this body is going to pass away. I'm going to get a new body. Hallelujah. Strong, eternal, long-flowing, golden blonde hair. You know I'm going to say that. Okay? But you are not your body. You are the you that is inside your body. It's like if you've seen the new avatar. I see you. You. That's, that's, that's your heart. That's who you are. And when the Bible speaks of your heart, you need to know something. First of all, I want to give you, I hate to do this, but I have to give you some bad news this morning. All of you have a heart condition. You do. You have a heart condition. Every single person in this room, every person on the planet has a heart condition. You know what the Bible says? In Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked, desperately sick. Who can know it? That your heart, somewhere inside of you, you say, Pastor, I've got a good heart. Yeah, there's a part of you that's good. There's a part of everybody that's good and capable of doing good because Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of evil and good. We do good sometimes. But the Bible says that within each one of us is an evil, rebellious heart. Even at the time of Noah, <coughs> the beginning of the Scripture, the Scripture tells us that the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his, what? Heart was only evil continually. And we see God's judgment upon man as a result of the wickedness and the rebellion and the sin that is in our heart. And Jesus comes along even in the New Testament and challenges us by saying, look, <coughs> it's not whether or not you've committed murder. It's the fact that you have murder in your heart. When you're angry, it's not whether the fact that you've committed the physical adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust for her in his what heart has committed adultery already. Now, that's not to say that it's the same thing. I've been married 35 years, and by the grace of God, I've never touched with or been with another woman, but I've broken this commandment countless times. And you say, well, it's the exact same. No, it's not the exact same. The point is that Jesus is saying that we all have sin in our heart. That there exists in me lust and pride and selfishness in my flesh. It's still there even though I've been born again. And this, this is our diagnosis. And the problem is I can hide my heart from you guys. Okay? But the Bible says that God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. You look at this great looking person that I am. Maybe not. But what you don't see is my heart, but God sees it all the time. And so here's the diagnosis as I'm stuck with recognizing that inside, even if I've never done X, Y, and Z, there is still the thought, the desire, the attitude. The, even if I never say, you're a blank, 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 there's still the thought, the desire, the attitude. 
And see, our problem is that we cannot change ourselves. God can set a bunch of rules like the Ten Commandments or the 612 laws in the, in the Pentateuch, and the reality is, is all those things can do is reveal that we have a wicked heart. What we need, here's the good news, is a heart transplant. A heart transplant. Did you know that the Word of God offers you a transplant? By the way, heart transplants, I look it up, cost an average of $1.7 million. But this one's free. Because the price has already been paid. And from the beginning of God's Word, God recognized not only is our heart wrong, but God says, I will give you a new heart. You know, way back in the book of Ezekiel, this was thousand, uh, thousand, whatever, 700, 800 years before Christ, God speaking to the future says, hey, someday Israel, when the Holy Spirit comes and my, my Messiah comes, I'm going to give you, what's those words, a new heart. You're going to get a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I'm going to remove from you the heart of stone and put in you a heart of flesh. That is called heart transplant. Are you with me? I'm going to take your heart out and I'm going to put my heart in through the Holy Spirit. The next verse says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and observe my statutes. This, by the way, by definition, is what it means to be a Christian that you have been born again, that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that you have a new heart. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, test yourself to see if you're a Christian. Examine yourself. Is Christ in you? The moment you call upon the Lord, when you hear the gospel and you realize that you're a sinner separated from God uh, and call upon Jesus in faith, you receive a new heart. A new spirit. By the way, he made this promise also in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 33, the same thing. He says, there's going to be a covenant I'm going to make with the house of Israel in the future that I'm going to put my law, the word of God, not rules just on 10 tablets of stone or on the wall for me to say, I'm going to try to do that, I'm going to try to do that. But no, I'm going to change your heart and put my word and my desire, my law in your heart and I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what real Christianity looks like. It's not rules. It's not religion. It's a new heart, a new transplant that we receive by grace through faith. There are so many scriptures, as many as received him. Uh, Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Okay, And in that moment, you're born again, symbolized by water baptism. That is what it means to be a Christian. By definition, if you're a Christian here this morning, the Spirit of God lives in you. Let me put it on a diagram. Somebody else did this years ago. I thought it was good. That as human beings, I'm one person, but I'm also three. Body, soul, spirit. Okay, again, the soul, that heart, is my inner person. I have the body, the flesh, with indwelling sin. But in, in me, here's me, my mind, my will, my emotions. And when we're born, we're born with a spirit part of us as well. Human beings are spiritual people. And even if you don't believe in God, they will worship. Go to a concert. Go to a football game. Okay? We worship. We're created to worship. We're made to worship, but we're born spiritually dead. The moment you hear the gospel and repent and trust Christ, here's what happens. The God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and you've been, whoo, heart transplant. There you go. New heart, okay? Why then do I as a Christian still struggle with sin? 
because I still got the flesh. Can I get an amen on that one? I got, a, I got the flesh. See, inside of me is Christ, a new nature, born again. He's put his laws in my heart. He's given me a new desire to know him. But I still have the, the stinking thinking of my flesh. The enemy is still in me. And this is why Paul writes and he says the flesh and the spirit are at war and they're fighting one another. You know, the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit's against the flesh and they're, they're fighting. You can't do what you please. So if we go back to this diagram, what happens is my mind and my will and my emotions are being led on the inside to try to follow Christ as a brand new creature in Christ, born again, made righteous, but I still got the flesh that's saying, hey, go this way. Live for yourself. Don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Let's go get stoned. Let's get drunk. Let's chase girls. Let's spend our money on whatever we want. Let's do what feels good. And, and, and these two forces are at war with us. Like two dogs fighting for your attention. Which one wins? The one you feed more. Right? And when we learn through the Spirit how to say no to the flesh and daily come before God and give our lives and we're going to church and we're reading the Bible and we're praying and we're surrendering our lives and we're growing, the flesh becomes weaker and the Spirit stronger and we mature and our heart becomes transformed. And you know what? We do by nature, the Bible says, the things contained in the law. But when we don't, this is why Christians can be Christians, Bible-believing Christians, and commit adultery and destroy their marriages. This is why Bible-believing Christians can end up addicted to alcohol and drugs and destroy their lives. Because the flesh is winning that battle. How do we win? The Bible says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. The best defense is a good offense and if you're doing and following and intentionally trying to seek the Lord then this then then the spirit is going to win and here's what happens is God begins to change our heart this is why coming back to heart the Bible tells us above all else guard your heart God's calling no I'm just kidding this battle, by the way, between the spirit and the flesh, the Apostle Paul talked about it. Read Romans 7 sometime where Paul says, you know what? I want to do good, but I keep not doing the things I, the, the, you know, the desire to do what is right is in me, but sometimes I don't do what I know I should do. But it's really not me. It's evil within me. He says, I know there's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. And this is the battle that we all have. So the Bible says, guard your heart. You need to guard what's going on here. It's not just about what you do. It's what you're thinking. Keep your guard up, church, right? Take every thought captive. I got to guard those desires, those emotions. Sometimes my heart wants things that I know it shouldn't want. Got to be careful what I'm listening to, what I'm looking at, because these are the ways into my heart, you know. Look over there. No, don't look at that. That's not what I need to see. Set no worthless thing before my eyes. Don't think about that. Don't do that. Why? Because those things come into our hearts, and it always starts in the heart, and then we begin to live it out. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the sin doesn't show up for years and years later, but for, for years we've been struggling with something in our heart, and we weren't dealing with it. Guard your heart. Guard your heart because your flesh doesn't want to live to please God. Now, let's look at David for just a quick second. David, man after God's own heart. I'm just going to show you a few verses about his heart. I want you to see this heart. Look, look at what's going on in David here. Psalm 139. 
Search me, O God, and know my what? Heart. This is a prayer. Search me and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any anxious thoughts inside of me. God, get rid of those anxious thoughts. Help me to trust you. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I mean, this is almost like that song we used to sing, Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Here's the heart of David just constantly coming before the Lord saying, God, here's my heart. I recognize that things in there need to be changed. Search it, show me, reveal it. I'm yours. This is why he was a man after God's own heart. Did he have moments of stupid? Say yes. Of course he did. But that wasn't the pattern of his life. Here's another one. Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. God, even the things I'm thinking about, even the things I'm allowing into my mind and my heart, let those things be pleasing to you. This was a private thing inside between David. He dealt with his heart before the Lord. One of my favorite Psalms of David, don't have time to read the whole thing, Psalm 51, after he went into Bathsheba and, and was confronted on his sin. And we see David in Psalm 51 coming before God saying, Oh God, be gracious to me according to your mercy and your loving kindness. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know what I've done against you and you only have I sinned. You're right and I'm wrong. Just humbling himself before the Lord. And then he makes this statement in verse 10. Create in me a what? clean heart oh God because David recognized it wasn't the actions it was the heart the heart leads to the actions and some of us haven't done something but we're thinking about it and that's what we've got to fight we've got to say God change my heart renew a steadfast spirit within me now this morning talked about the diagnosis of the heart the transplant uh, we talked about David's heart, the most important thing to guard your heart. But what I want to do right now is I want to bring this back to wh what I wanted to talk about originally, and that is how we give and how we handle money. There's so much in Scripture about money. Now, I'm going to share a statement, just a very simple one. You've heard this before. This comes from Jesus. Don't shoot the messenger. This is red letters, okay? This is red letters in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, but here's what Jesus said. He said, you should examine your heart. And one of the great ways you can tell right now where your heart is, is he said this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And of course, that's true. I was at a hockey game yesterday with uh, Matt Peterman watching uh, his son play hockey, and we were talking about how much money it costs to keep a 10-year-old involved in playing hockey costs money amen it's a lot of money and there's nothing wrong with spending money on your son because you love him amen you love your kids you're going to spend money on your kids you're going to take them to soccer practice or you're going to get them violin lessons or whatever it is and nobody has to say now matt you should do this as a dad you should provide some money for your kids it's not some law what it comes from the heart and what Jesus said is if you want to examine where your heart really is, go to your bank statement and start looking at where your money's going. 
Because the reality is, is where you give your money and where you put your money and where you spend your money shows where your heart is. Not all of it. I mean, sometimes I have to pay taxes. I don't have a heart for the government. Okay? There are necessary bills and things that we need to do, but I'm not talking about that, you know. But I'm saying for some of us, we, man, we love our dog and we'll spend thousands of dollars a year on the dog. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's a sin to love your dog. Dogs are better than cats. Dogs go to heaven. Cats, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Sorry, not a cat person. I just had half the people leave the church right there. So, yeah. I think, well, I better not say that. I just stop while you're ahead, Jim. So, yeah. Some of you like hobbies. You like games. You spend money on that. Again, that's not sinful. That's not wrong. That's not what I'm saying. It's not wrong. But we spend money on eating out. We spend money on ourselves. You know why we spend money on ourselves? Because we love ourselves. That's natural. That's in the flesh. No one ever hated his own flesh. We want to do things that are fun. Okay? Until it comes to our walk with the Lord and then what we do is we, we, we look at our bank account and we come up with all kinds of reasons why we don't have money to give to the poor, to give to the church, to give to mission work, to give to others because it costs us something. I like to say it this way. Some of us got saved years ago but this year your bank account needs to get saved, okay? so Okay. Sorry, that was supposed to be funny. Um, Here's what Jesus said, too. You can't serve both God and money. Okay? So my challenge this morning is to ask you to just examine your heart. And, and a lot of us can tell ourselves, oh, I want to give more. I want to be more generous. If only I had more money, how much would be enough? It's always more than what we're making now. Jesus said, be faithful with what you have. And I, I challenge you that when you begin to realize this is a joy, Okay, don't give because, in fact, when you look at giving in the New Testament, let me just share this, I'm just about done. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 says, here's how you give. Each one must give exactly 10% of his income to the local church. Is that what it says? No. Wouldn't hurt my feelings if you did, but that's not what it says. It says each one must give as he has purposed in his, what's that word? Heart. Okay, so you sit down with God and you say, God, you've given me all of this. Here's the income that I have. How much of, of your money do you want me to give where? And notice he says, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, again, says it's from the heart. It's not you have to give, you should give. It's like, see, when you've been born again and your heart is for the Lord and you love the Lord, there was a time David had a chance to to have a $600,000 piece of property for free, and he said, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to offer this to the Lord when it costs me nothing. But today, Consumer Church, we're looking for what benefits us instead of coming in, serving, coming in, giving. Again, this is a heart issue. I don't know who gives what. That's not what this is about. And guys, I'll tell you straight up, financially, our church has uh, some money in reserves. This isn't about, oh, Jim's preaching this because the church needs money. God's always taken care of every church I pastored in 30 years, and so I'm not worried about that. And if I have to go get another job, I'm not worried about that either. The Lord's going to provide. Okay? That's not what this is about. We're okay. This is about the spiritual condition. My job as a pastor is to know well the conditions of my flock, and if 40% of our church is not giving anything, there's a heart issue. Because 
your heart is not for the Lord or your heart's not for this church. And if there's something wrong with this church that you can't give to this church, then go find a church that you can give to. Okay? Now, I'm moving on from money, so stay with me. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Is that there are things the Bible says that you and I can actually set your heart. And I love this phrase. And as I close, I just want you to think about where your heart is, where your heart's been, where your heart might be drifting. Say, okay, I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. I know I've had that heart transplant. But for some reason, I don't seem to have a heart for God's word. Or I don't seem to have a, a heart to, to be in church anymore. Something's going on. Don't ignore this. Something's going on. We've got to deal with what's going on in our heart because this is how the enemy is going to take us down. So, there was a, a descendant of, of Solomon that the Bible says this, he did evil because he did not set his heart. I love that, to seek the Lord. That there was a determination, almost like you set a compass or set the time or set a clock or whatever. He's like, you need to set your heart. You need to determine your heart to seek God, to know him. By the way, G Jesus said, well, it's Jeremiah, but I'm still going to say it's Jesus. Jesus said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your what? heart that somewhere in our heart we're like man something's missing in my relationship with God well probably because your heart's drifted away into some other things which are not evil and they're not sinful and they're good and they're fun you might notice I like football right I'm gonna go home and watch a football game this afternoon but if football becomes an idol in my life above Jesus you see what I'm saying hey, don't be making fun of my jersey no, I'm just kidding this is old school, Earl Campbell, no. Set your heart, set your heart to seek the Lord. One more, Ezekiel, uh, Ezra, sorry, Ezra set his heart to study the Word of God. See, I need to, I need to know God's Word. That's a, that's a heart issue. I want God's Word to speak to my heart. I want to listen. I want to be changed. I want to know the Lord, okay? Church family, I, I hope you receive this in love, but this is it. The heart, as the worship team comes up here, the heart is everything. I'll close with this verse. Bible says, as in water, face reflects face. Back in the old times of Proverbs, a thousand years before Christ, if you want to see what you look like, you'd look in the water. You know, maybe the mirrors were kind of dim at that point. Get a clear reflection. All the water does is show you what you look like on the outside. As in water, face reflects face. But guess what shows you what you're really like? That's the heart. It's who you are in here. It's where your mind is. It's where your emotions is, where your will is, where your soul is, where your heart is. And I hope this morning that God has spoken to some of our hearts to say, you know, maybe your heart isn't where it should be. So one of two things need to happen. Maybe this morning some of you need to receive a new heart. How do you get that new heart? You ask for it. It's that simple. No, it can't be that easy. It is. You come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I know my heart is, I, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Will you please come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior? And then you follow that up by getting baptized. Now, most of you, I know you've done that. But as you examine your heart this morning, maybe your heart's a little off course. Maybe that flesh is kicking in and you need to have a course correction today where God brought you here to say, look, you need to set your heart to seek me to follow me. And one of the ways you can tell where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and uh, we're going to have a
just a song this morning. We're not going to have an altar call, but I hope that you'll use this song as an opportunity to respond to the Lord, to sing, to say, Lord, I'm going to make room for you to do whatever you want to do in my heart. Father, thank you again for the work of the gospel that changes us from the inside out. We confess that we can only clean up the outside. Only you can clean up the inside. Let us be honest and open with ourselves and with you about our hearts to identify those areas like David said, search me, O God, know my heart. Create in me a clean heart. See if there's any hurtful way in me. I pray, Father, this morning for Christians in the sound of my voice who are struggling with the flesh. That you'll help us to just turn to you, like David, to know that we've not used up your mercy and forgiveness, that our worst moments don't define us, that you're always there waiting to forgive us and cleanse us. If we, like David, even though we mess up, continue to search for you with all of our heart, let that be the testimony of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.